Welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills IP podcast on architects' copyright. My name is Rachel Montanian and I'm a professional support consultant with our IP group. I'm joined today by Joanna Silver, a senior associate in IP, for a discussion on the issues surrounding architects' copyright. So Joanna, architects' copyright issues can lead to delays and problems where the rights are not fully appreciated or assigned or licensed correctly, can't they? We'll talk about this in a bit more detail later, but first let's look at what types of copyright work might architects create. Architects can create a number of different copyright works during the course of a project, including in their plans, drawings and designs, any models of the buildings that they are designing, and in the buildings themselves. Okay, so what would be an infringement of one of these works? That depends on which work we're talking about. Where the copyright work is plans or drawings, it would be an infringement to copy those plans in 2D, for example, by redrawing or scanning or photocopying them, or to copy the plans in 3D, for example, by constructing a building according to those plans. It would even be an infringement to extend the building in the same style as the original design. Where the copyright work is the building or a model of the building, it would be an infringement to copy the building itself, to copy the model of the building, including by making drawings from it or building to its design, or to copy a part of the building or the model, such as copying an internal feature. These rights are extensive, and as copyright lasts for the life of the author, which is the architect, plus 70 years, these restrictions last for a long time. Yes, they certainly tie things up for a while. And in all those contexts, we're talking about doing those things without the permission of the copyright owner, of course. And so what if I wanted, for example, just simply to take a photograph of a building without permission, just, let's say, for sale details or or for some other purpose? Could I do that? Yes. One thing that's not an infringement of copyright in a building or a model of a building in the UK is to make a graphic work of it, to photograph it, film it, or to broadcast a visual image of it. This is sometimes known as the panorama exception and is specifically provided for by statute. This is helpful for publicity purposes, as well as for passing tourists. But it is one exception that surprisingly doesn't actually exist in all EU countries, including in France. Let's talk about the ownership position. Who owns the copyright in architects' designs? Following the general copyright rule where creators are first authors, unless they are creating during the normal course of their employment, where their employer would be the owner, the architect will be the first owner of the copyright works they create, because they are the effective cause of the shape and design of their buildings and plans. That is, unless their contractual terms say otherwise. This boils down to an employer automatically owning copyright in works created by employees, but professional consultants or commissionees owning their own copyright in respect of commissioned works. Where architects are working as a team, the work may be one of joint authorship. Joint authorship, and therefore joint ownership, arises where there are indivisible contributions from more than one creative mind, so any dealings with the work must take account of all of the authors. This means that all of them must agree to any assignment or licence of the copyright, which, as you can see, could be potentially problematic. Yes, I'd say, if possible, avoid joint authorship situations. I think that's probably true across the whole gamut of IP, isn't it? Yes. Um... In that context, I just wanted to say a quick word about BIM, Building Information Modelling. This is a programme that allows information sharing and modelling in a construction project, so contributors to a project each input their own designs into a programme, 
say the pipework or the wiring and among other things the software will identify errors and inconsistencies which if not identified may hamper the construction of the project. From an IP perspective BIM collates and interrelates separately owned copyright works which is consistent with the traditional position regarding copyright works and construction projects and the view generally adopted by the industry. So the result of the ownership position is that where an architect is engaged if their commissioner wants full control of the plans they'd need to obtain an assignment of the copyright. But often, in fact, in most cases, architects are not very keen to assign, and so a licence needs to be put in place with sufficient scope for all the uses to which the plans may need to be put in future. So there are REBA standard terms licences available, and these are generally pro-architect rather than commissioner, but in most major developments we see bespoke arrangements being concluded. And I thought a good way to illustrate what needs to go into your bespoke arrangement was to look at what happens when there are no terms in place, as this tends to highlight the problems. So where there is no agreement in place, there are useful things like implied licences that will operate to enable a developer to use the plans, as long as it's paid an appropriate fee for them already, but to use them only to build the building for which they were provided. It doesn't allow the plans to be used for the purpose of any extension, but they can be used for the reconstruction of the building, but again, only as long as this is in the same style and form. So problems can arise where an architect's been working on a development and his appointment is terminated before the site is sold with the benefit of planning, planning permission, for example. Yes, in that situation, where there are no terms in place, the case law suggests that the right to use the plans to construct the building they were prepared for should be transferable by the owner of the land who also commissioned the plans and then sold the land with the benefit of planning permission. Similarly, if the buildings are partially erected, the new owner should have the right to complete them without infringing. However, if the seller of the site was not the commissioner of the architect, the licence may not transfer with the sale, as was the case in the recent dispute Fortis Developments. What about if the developer goes into receivership and an architect has been working on a development but hasn't been paid? Well, here the idea is that piece of land should not be sterilised, as it were, in the hands of the liquidator. That means that there should be an ability to continue to use the plans and that should be transferable. The architect should have an action against its client instead, rather than an ability to stop the use of the plans. However, since the client has gone into liquidation, this is often not very satisfactory for the architect. Are there any ways in which you can try to avoid the problem of a lack of access to plans in certain situations? Well, you can use escrow arrangements. They're sometimes used. And under these, you can get access to the plans in certain provided for situations or events, particular events occurred, then the escrow arrangements will allow you to access the plans. For example, insolvency is a common one. But a good idea is also to ensure that all the know-how that might be needed to build the building or other bits of information that are key as well as the plans are also in the escrow arrangement. Other ways of dealing with this are collateral warranties. Those can be used to protect third-party interests. These are basically warranties that are given to the third-party purchaser or tenants or funders. And they warrant that the architect has performed all the obligations that it should have done under the agreement. And it's common for the warranties to contain specific copyright licences for the benefit of the third party and for the terms to be similar to the licence provided to the person engaging the architect under the agreement originally. Is there anything else a bespoke architect's agreement should be dealing with? Well, there's always the thorny issue of moral rights. The right of paternity, for example, is there to allow a way for architects to ensure they are identified as the author of a building. It extends to having their name put on the building in some obvious place 
and to being identified in relation to photographs of the building. In addition, there's the right of integrity, that the work not be subject to derogatory treatment, like distortion or manipulation of the work, and then also the right not to have the work falsely attributed to anyone other than the actual architect. This might come into play, for example, where there's a project where there'd be multiple architects involved or architects have changed along the way. These rights are there to be asserted. They don't actually come into play until they are asserted by the architects, but they can all be waived. It's probably easiest if you can get a waiver from an architect, but that is often very difficult to achieve. So, Joanna, one last question for you. What if you don't have all the rights you need? and you end up infringing architect's copyright, what relief will be available to the architect? Generally speaking, we'd be looking at damages here. Injunctions are a possibility, and that would prevent the use of the plans and stop or delay the construction of the building, but that would only be granted where damages are not an adequate remedy, and that would rarely be the case. In most cases, damages will be considered an adequate remedy, and they may be significant, amounting to a reasonable licence fee for use of the copyright work. Note that they are not a fee reflecting the profits that an architect would have made if they had been appointed an architect for the whole of the construction period. Interestingly here, statute also provides for the possibility of additional damages for flagrant infringements of copyright. These are damages that are more than compensatory and allow the court to register in terms of a financial penalty its disapproval of the behaviour of a particularly egregious infringer. Many thanks, Joanna. I hope those of you listening have found this podcast useful. If you have any queries, do contact either Joanna or me. Our details are posted with this podcast on our Intellectual Property Notes blog at www.hsfnotes.com slash ip slash. Do subscribe to our blog if you haven't already. There you'll find more podcasts and updates on all aspects of IP law and practice.